Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are in week two of our series that we are calling Thread of Love. And the tagline of this series is the story of God's love through the Bible. And last weekend, we really did an overview of this story, that we looked at the entire Bible from like a 30,000 feet view, from the very beginning to the very end, showing you that this, this arc, there is this one true story. And really, not only did we show you the entire arc of the Bible, but we also kind of gave you an overview of uh, where we're going to be going over the next several weeks together as we're in this series. And uh, so not only was it an overview of the Bible, it was also an overview of the series. And I hope what you saw and I hope what you see all throughout this series is that on every page and on every story that you see the one true story that God loves his people. And today, as we're going to jump into this series, we're going to open up our Bibles to the very first book of the Bible by looking at the very first few words of the Bible. So if I could say Bible one more time, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 1 today. And if you don't have a Bible today, I would encourage you, grab the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Uh, you can follow along with the outline there. You can take notes. Uh, simply just download it onto your phone, click the More tab, then hit Events. You'll see Awaken Church Live, and uh, you can follow along with us uh, there as well. But uh, uh, we, uh, to the title of today's message is The Beginning of All Things. The Beginning of All Things. And this week, as I was studying, I came across... A quote that said that your view of God determines your response to God. It's your view of God determines your response to God. And I thought about that. I'm like, well, that makes sense because that's how all relationships work, right? Like your view of a person determines your response to that person. Think about it. If you think about an engaged couple, uh, that man will do anything for his bride to be, right? Like he's going to spend all his time. He's going to spend all of his money. Uh, he's going to do things that he normally would not do, like watch the notebook, right guys? Like you do those kinds of things. You'll go and you'll run errands. You'll go and you'll do things. Why? Because you're so enamored with your bride to be. And the same is true for women and their men. They'll do things. They'll, they'll, they'll do things they don't normally want to do. They'll say things. They'll do things. Why? Because they're so in love. But then go ahead and be a fly on a marriage counselor's wall. And what you're going to hear is story after story of small view after small view of a person. And that is driving their small response after small response. See, your view of a person determines your response to that person. And the same is true when it comes to God. So if you wake up tomorrow and you're just like, man, it, it feels like too much work to just open up my Bible and to read God's word. If it feels like, man, I'm just too busy for God. If you feel like your spiritual life, you're just kind of going through the motion or just checking things off the list. It can be because in that moment, at least, in that moment, you have a small view of God, which is driving a small response to God. But our problem is, oftentimes we only try to address the response without ever trying to address the view. So we wonder why we feel spiritually dry or spiritually inconsistent. And so what do we do when we feel that way? Well, we just try to muscle intimacy with God. 
And we do that by making more commitments. We'll say, well, you know what? I'll just get up a little bit earlier. I'll stay up later. I'll read the Bible more. I'll read more than just a few verses. I'll read a couple of chapters. I'll, I'll pray a little bit longer. I'll sin less. And we do all these things. And what ends up happening? We just end up addressing the response. And we wonder why we make all these commitments and we don't keep them. It's because in that moment, we're trying to have a big response while having a small view of God. Change your view, and I promise you, you'll change your response. In fact, I'll illustrate it for you this way. Your view of God is like a balloon. Now, I'm going to attempt to blow up this balloon, and I don't know if you're like me, but this is the most nerve-wracking part of the whole message for me right now. Because if you're like me, you've done something probably hundreds of times in your life, and the first time you're going to do it in front of people, you're like, I don't know if this is going to work, you know? And so I'm a little nervous wondering if this is going to work, but I'm going to attempt to inflate this balloon and also not pass out, all right? So here we go. Work the first service. Thank you. I need, I need it. Also, if I go down, Josh Brimmer, he, he's got me, all right? So nobody panic, all right? You on stand guard. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it would pop in my face, wouldn't it? <laughs> there we go. All right. All right, here we go. So your view of God is like this balloon. At least for me, it took intentionality. It takes focus to inflate this balloon. The same is true when it comes to your view of God. It takes focus. It takes intentionality. And so if we want to have a big response to God, you first have to have a big view of him. And so every single day, you know what you need to do? You need to put new air into your view of God so that you start living life with an inflated view of him. But here's what we want to do. We want to take our view of God, which gets inflated on a Sunday, and we want to tie it off, right? And we want to live life Sunday through Sunday, the rest of the week, living off of this air. Now, what happens? If I tie this off, I throw it to the side, I finish the message, we sing, we leave, we come back, all the snow's melted, it's been glorious, we all had a great week because all the kids went back to school, like all those good things, right? And we come back, what's going to naturally happen to this balloon? It's going to deflate, right? You tie this off, you hang it out, that's what happens to balloons, they just naturally deflate. The same is true in your life, you'll naturally deflate. Add to that the fact that you have an enemy that hates your guts, He doesn't like you. He's constantly lying to you. Satan doesn't need you to believe that God doesn't exist. He just simply needs you to believe that he's not worth it. Because if he can get you to believe that, you know what ends up happening. Our view of God begins to deflate. And so I wonder how many of us here today, we've come to church and we feel like this. Our view of God is just like this deflated balloon. And we can easily look around. We can see people worshiping, raising their hands, clapping, singing loud, praising, adoring God, singing loud. And, and maybe, I know I've been in church before. I've seen people cry during worship. And I'm like, why are they crying during worship time? Like, what is that? And we could easily look at all those people and we could wonder, why is that their response? Why are they acting like that? Why is that coming from them? Why is that not me? It's because for them, they have a big view of God That's driving their big response. Change your view and you'll change your response. And what better place for us to do that than to look at the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. It says this, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm not sure we got that. It's a long verse, all right? So here's what we're going to do. It's cold. I don't know if we got it. On the count of three, we're all going to read it together, all right? One, two, three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What an amazing introduction that God gives himself. And I was thinking about that this week. And I was like, man, if I go to a party or if I'm going to an awakening group and I don't know anybody, like I'm going to introduce myself, say my name, you know. Like if I go to a party, I might say what I do, what hobbies I have. If you go to a party and you're married, you might talk about your marriage. If you have kids, you might talk about your kids. That's how we would introduce ourselves. But God introduces himself and he does so in an absolutely unique way. The opening line of the Bible, God says, here's my introduction to you. Here's what I want you to understand about who I am. And so from this one verse, I want to show us three things that I think will not only put new air into our view of God, but I think is help us get a foundation to understanding this one true story. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at that God is before time. God is the uncreated one who created all things. And God made us to love him and be loved by him. So the first one is this. God is before time. God is before time. The book of Genesis opens up with one word in the Hebrew language, and it's the word where we get our phrase, in the beginning from. And this phrase is used 51 different times all throughout the Old Testament. And here's what's interesting about this. That every time this word is used in the Old Testament, it refers to time and space when something started. For example, in Genesis chapter 10, the Bible talks about the beginning of a kingdom. It says in Genesis 10, 10, in the beginning of his kingdom. It's describing a time and space when that kingdom began. Jeremiah chapter 26 says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. This is talking about the beginning reign of a certain king. It's talking about time and space. Everything we know and we celebrate has a beginning in time and space. But then we look here in Genesis 1.1, and the Bible used this word to refer to how time and space began. When it says in the beginning, it's talking about the beginning of time and space. But I want you to notice what else it says. It says in the beginning, when the beginnings began, when time and space began, who was there? God was there. We see it doesn't take, it takes four words for us to get in. And we see the main character of the Bible right there. We see that God is the main character. And so here's what all this means. In the beginning, what beginning? The beginning of beginnings. When the beginning of beginnings began, put yourself on whatever spectrum of theology you want to, young earth, old earth, whatever. When the beginning of beginnings began, God is this means before a second ever clicked, uh, ki- uh, clicked off of time's clock, before the sun ever rose above the horizon and the rays of sunlight stretched across the horizon, long before fish were swimming in the ocean, long before birds ever sang on top of trees or in the air, when there was no earth, there was no galaxy, there was no sun, no ocean, no humans, when there was nothing, God was. We could say it this way, when the beginnings began, he already am. Now, some of you might be like, that's terrible English, terrible grammar. Like, some of you are really annoyed right now. You're like, I can't get that out of my head. Listen, it might be bad grammar, but it's great theology. 
Because here's the thing. If we want to understand more about the God that is introduced to us in the beginning of the book, we can go all the way to the end of the book, see the same God, and he describes himself at the end of the book as well. He kind of bookends all of it. Revelation 1.8, God says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When the beginnings of beginnings began, he already am. But here's something I want you to notice about the structure of Revelation 1.8 that I just love. Because I don't know about you, but I'm very fascinated with time. Uh, like even this week, I was like, man, I'd like to travel back in time 30 years, thinking it'd be like the 60s. I don't know. Apparently, I'm still living in the 90s. I don't know. But I was like, dang, that's only 1994. And I felt really old this week. Like I was like, oof. <laughs> My back all of a sudden started around. I was like, ah, you know. But I think about it. I'm like, man, I'd like to go back to the 60s. I'd like to go back to World War II. Like I'd like to go see certain moments in history, or I'd like to go into the future. I like to see what's the future like, like what's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years like. And I think at some level, we're all fascinated with time because we are people bound by time. And when we talk about time, we always do it in the same way. We talk about the past, the present, and the future, right? Because that's how we relate to time. But in Revelation 1.8, God describes himself. He doesn't start with the past. He starts with the present. So he says, I am the one who is. Why does he start off that way? Because God is describing himself in relationship to time and space. God was before time. He isn't bound by time. He is eternal. He's the one who is. The world came about because God is an eternal God. And at some point in all of time, he decided just to speak and everything was created. And now every part of creation is bound to time, but God exists above time. He's also the one who was. At a moment in time and space, he clothed himself into humanity and he entered into that time and space that he created. Even Jesus said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And then it says, he is the one who is to come, which means one day he will bring all of time and space as we know it to an end. So now here's the point. If your head hurts like my head hurts this weekend trying to wrap my mind around all this, here's the big point I want you to understand from this. There never has been a time when God was not. Go back as far in human history as you want to. Go back 2,600 years ago. You're going to find a guy named Daniel. He gets thrown into a lion's den. And who shows up? God shows up. And he closes the mouths of those lions. You continue to read, you're going to meet three of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into a fiery furnace, but guess who shows up? A fourth. God protects them in the fire. You go back 3,000 years, you're going to find a scrawny little shepherd boy named David, and he's out on the field of battle, and he's facing this giant called Goliath, and who's with him? God is with him. Go back 3,500 years ago, you're going to find a guy named Moses. Moses can't even put a sentence together, and yet God uses him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And as they're going out of this Egyptian slavery, all of a sudden he comes across this Red Sea. They can't cross the Red Sea. So he's got the Red Sea in front of him. He's got an Egyptian army behind him, ready to kill him, take him back into slavery. And Moses is like, I don't know what to do. But guess who shows up? God shows up. 
He parts the Red Sea, gives his people safe passage. Go back 4,000 years. You're going to see a guy named Abraham. He has a knife raised over his son, ready to sacrifice him. Sounds weird to you? Come back in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that story, all right? He's ready to sacrifice him. But guess what happens? God shows up. God provides a ram in the thicket. Go back to when the first man and woman who ever lived, guess who was there? God was there and he breathed life into them. Go back to the very beginnings. When the beginning of beginnings began, God was there. God is before time. In fact, I love how Moses says it in Psalm 90 verse two. He says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. But I want you to take note of that word God in this verse, because it's a very specific Hebrew word that can mean supreme one, mighty one, or the sovereign authority of God. But listen, this also stresses his omnipotence, meaning he is all powerful, that the world is his, the universe is his, creation is his, Again, that's why in Revelation 1.8, he first describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega. And you're like, well, why is that significant? Why is that important? Because that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And this is significant because all knowledge is expressed through the letters of the alphabet. So God is announcing himself to be the one who has all knowledge, that all knowledge comes from him. But then he describes himself as the one who is and the one who is to come and the one who was. There he's describing his omnipresence, that there never has been a time when God did not exist. He's always present. And then he closes it out by saying, I am the almighty. That's a statement about him being omnipotent. Listen, everything about who we are, why we're here, where we are going is all wrapped up in the first four letters of, or the first four uh, words uh, in the Bible, in the beginning, God. Paul wrote it and tells it this way in Romans eleven thirty six. We talked about it last week. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Listen, this is all for his glory. God is before time. The whole story of the Bible is about the story of God and his glory in the beginning. But here's the second thing I want us to see in this verse. It's that God is the uncreated one who created all things. The uncreated one who created all things. Again, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. What did he do? Created. Now, there was nothing in the beginning, but the Bible says in the beginning, God created. Listen, God is not created. He is the uncreated one, but he is the source of everything. He is the creator of everything we see today, and he's the creator of everything we don't see today. He is the creator, and he created out of nothing. In fact, uh, Latin theologians, you might have heard this phrase before, the way they describe this is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now, we are people, we create, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that we reflect with when it comes to um, God, our Father. We are, we are made in the image and likeness of him, and so I think we, cr- we reflect that because we create things, right? Tina, who's over our creative stuff here at Awaken, she created these slides that we have. Jacob, who does our IT here, he created our website. Kelly and her team, they create music. Kelly and her team create backdrops. 
We have so many people who create things here at Awake. We are created people. We create pictures. We create architecture. With all this snow that we have, your family's probably like mine. We created snow angels. We created snowmen. We created snow forts, you know? Like, that's what we did. We are people who can create. But let me tell you, we do not have the power to create ex nihilo out of nothing. We can't do that. We could create using existing materials, modifying materials, but not out of nothing. God is the only one who created without using materials out of nothing. And out of nothing, God spoke and everything we know came into existence. In fact, we're even told what comes into existence. Two things do, the heavens and the earth. The heavens describe everything besides the earth. It's everything outside of the earth's atmosphere to the furthest star. And the earth is everything that we think it is. It's our planets, our atmosphere, oceans, water, uh, animals, people. So in Genesis 1.1, the heavens and the earth is just really a long way of saying God created the universe. That God in eternity past, outside the parameters of time and space that didn't even exist yet, In an instant, he opened his mouth, he spoke, and everything we know came into existence. All the stars, galaxies, all human beings, everything we could touch, taste, smell, feel. He spoke, and it all came into existence out of nothing. Just boop, there it is. I got to think about it. Earth, boop, there it is. Mars, boop, there it is. And people will hear this and they'll say, well, you know, does it, doesn't it take a lot of faith to believe that? Yeah, it takes faith to believe that. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. But not as much faith as people who say, out of nothing, just somewhere there was this cosmic burp. In fact, I, uh, I remember being in college and, and people would find out that I'm a Christian and, and all that. And they, they would often ask me, they'd be like, well, do you really believe that a man was swallowed by a whale? I was like, yeah, of course I do. Because I, I understand, I know, I read even this week, that if you can believe Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible makes a lot of sense. It's very clear. So if we can believe this verse, everything else is super easy. So do you believe it? Oh yeah, I believe that a man could be swallowed by a great fish. That's not a problem for me to believe because I believe this. So yes, it does take a lot of faith, but not as much faith as others would say. Because here's, here's, the, here's the idea. There's a lot of people who would write about the Big Bang Theory, a lot of other theories. There's Bill Nye, the science guy that would want to make you believe something else. Like there's all these people who have all these theories about how we all came about. And guess what? They weren't there either. So here's what they have to do. They have to believe all of that by faith as well. And so you have two options. In the beginning, God, who existed outside the parameters of time and space, he spoke, everything came into existence with detail, complexity, and design. Or nothing, a burp, it all fell into place. Which one, you tell me which one takes the greater leap of faith. Now, here's why all of this is important. Because what you believe about where you came from ultimately determines your view on the purpose and value of your life. See, Genesis 1.1 gives us our roots. If we have a past, then we have a future. 
If we are created in God's image, we have purpose. If there is an intelligent creator who knows us and loves us, there is a plan and a purpose for our life, not only here, but for eternity. Without him, we are dying embers in a dying universe with no ultimate significance. But with him, we have roots in the past and roots to a great future. I'll illustrate it this way. I don't know if you remember being in school or not, but when you were in school, they taught you about the solar system, right? And maybe you were like me, they, they taught you how to, to remember it with Mavemsnup, right? Like, I don't know if you ever, anybody have to remember it that way? Yeah. See, I was homeschooled, so I learned through Saved by the Bell. And so there is an episode of Saved by the Bell where Zach Morris has to learn the order of plants to win the Knowledge College Bowl, all right? So he goes and he says, Vemensnup. I don't even say it right. Like, that's just how, other people have, um, I didn't write it down, but I've been told. I'm going to see if I can do it. My very enthusiastic mother made me some other stuff. I don't know what it is. Like that was just how you had to remember all of the planets. Like you had all these ways to remember the planets in order. Now, somebody now has come around and I I learned that there was nine of them, but somebody came around and they're like, well, I'm going to do the math on this. And they did the math and they re-looked at it and they're like, we had it all wrong. There's actually eight planets and there's one dwarf planet. Now there's five dwarf planets, they say, but in my book, there will always be nine planets. If we're going to change it, then I want my grades to change as well. Like, I did terrible with this, so I, I need everything to reflect properly, all right? But in my book, there will always be nine. In fact, Jacob, uh, he has a shirt that says, uh, never forget Pluto, 1930 to 2006. And uh, so, again, there will always be nine planets. But NASA says there's eight planets and five dwarf planets. In fact, here's a picture of that. You can see all of our planets. And we were all taught, this is the solar system. Mavimsnup. My mother told me to eat this stuff, right? Like, that was what we had to learn. NASA defines the solar system as a collection of heavenly bodies in orbit around a star. And NASA now estimates that the Milky Way galaxy alone has 100 billion solar systems, Now, the Milky Way galaxy is kind of like our cul-de-sac in the universe. But then the Hubble uh, Space Telescope was used, and now they say, well, uh, now there's 100 billion galaxies out there, which means this, we're not the only cul-de-sac in the universe. So inside our cul-de-sac, there are over 100 billion solar systems. There are 100 billion galaxies out there. In fact, I read this week that a German supercomputer has estimated that there are 500 billion galaxies more galaxies out there, which has led some astronomers to say, well, there, there must be an estimated 12 quadrillion solar systems out there in the universe. The solar system, Mavimsnup, right? That's what we learned about. We can't even wrap our minds around 12 quadrillion solar systems. That, that number just doesn't even register. So let me help you with that. One million seconds ago was 12 days ago. One billion seconds ago was 1993. One trillion seconds ago was over 31,000 years ago. One quadrillion seconds ago was 32 million years ago. That's just one quadrillion second ago. Astronomers say, well, there's 12 quadrillion solar systems out there. 
the solar system. Hearing all this, you might be asking yourself, okay, well, what does any of this have to do with me? Why, why is any of this, why do I have to believe this? Why is this important? Why would God make all of this stuff? Well, he tells us why. In Psalm 191, he says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. You know why God made all of these galaxies? You know why he hung all those stars, made all these plans, did all these things? So that when we're out in the middle of nowhere, out on the lake, out on the mountain, if you have a telescope, when you're at night looking at it through the telescope at all the different things, when you're sitting on the couch eating your favorite uh, bag of potato chips and you hear these new discoveries of new solar systems, new planets, new things happening, so that when you just sit back and you hear all these things, you can look back and you can say, wow, my God is big. He's huge. The Bible tells us he holds it all in the palm of his hands. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. This is what I'd say. The heavens are like, hey, that's cute that you built a telescope and you think you can see and know all of it. Go ahead and build yourself a bigger one. We build ourselves a bigger one. The heavens declare the glory of God. Not big enough. So we build another one and another one and another one. We're just scratching the surface. The Bible tells us that we could join in with all creation, singing about who he is, singing about his, his majesty, his grandeur. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Listen, we are not accidental blobs. We have a past rooted in God. We are the image bearers of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are placed in an environment that is perfect for us. But in our arrogance, we're going to say when there was nothing Nothing had a little indigestion and, and birthed detail, complexity. Everything just fell into place. Genesis 1.1, God in his introduction to us says, hey, look around you. Look at all this stuff. Look at the order. Look at the purpose. Look at the complexity. I made it. And we get the we, we bow ourselves low and we worship him and we praise him at just how mighty and big and huge God is. And he loves us and he cares about us. God is the uncreated one who created all things. Here's the last thing for us today. is that God made us to love him and be loved by him. Go ahead and skip down verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creepy, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't know what that is, but it sounds creepy, right? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We talked about this last week, but... We are all made in the, image of like, in the image and likeness of God. But not only are we made in his image, 
God brought himself low. God brought himself near to us. He made his presence known to us. But not only did he make his presence known to us, God also spoke to us. And here's what I want to caution all of us here today. Because if we're not careful, here's what can happen. We can read all this. We can hear all this. We can hear about the quadrillions of galaxies out there. We can hear about his omnipresence, omniscience, that that he's omnipotent as well. We can hear about that he's the almighty one, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. We can hear all of these things. And if we're not careful, we can think, man, God is way up here and I'm way down here. That's not the case at all. God is not far away. He's not as far away as the furthest star. He's close as your next heartbeat. He's with you of every moment of every day. Listen, you might be here today and you might have a deflated view of God. You might be here today and you might be going through a lot. And you're like, God isn't here. God isn't close. He feels like he's a million miles away. But we all know that feelings and reality don't always match. The truth is God is with you right now. He'll be with you later today. He'll be with you tomorrow. The Bible tells us he's as close as as a brother. He's a close father. God made us to know him and to love him and to be known and loved by him. And we are to live all of life, enjoy everything he made in relationship with him. See, it doesn't matter who you are. God made you for relationship with himself. And here's what this means. You'll never experience life. Yeah, you can live, you can breathe, you can exist. But you will never experience life as God intended it apart from a relationship with him. Why? Because, that, because God's purpose, because God made us to know him and to love him and to be known and loved by him. That's our purpose. That's the reason why we're here. And we are to live everything else, all of life. All of life finds its meaning, its value, its purpose, its significance when we live out of the overflow of that love relationship. God created us to be in relationship with him, to be close to him. In fact, I read a quote from a pastor named Jerry Vine this week. And he says this, If Genesis 1-1 is not true, and if God did not create you, then your life truly has no purpose or meaning. Human life is simply a match struck in the darkness and then blown out. If the first verse of the Bible is not true, then one human life is simply, as Shakespeare states, a tale told full of sound and fury, and signifying nothing. If nothing is where it begins and nothing is where it ends, then you know what that means? All of life is about nothing. And I think that's why we have so many people living their lives apart from God, throwing their lives away, trying to fill their lives with so many things. If I only have this, or if I could get this, or if I could have that, or I need this relationship, I need this job, I need these things. We're constantly trying to fill ourselves up with more and more and more. But it leaves us empty, not satisfied. But if it all came from someone, and it's all headed somewhere, then what we have is something. And here's the good news of the gospel. God created us. But as we're going to see next week when we get into Genesis chapter 3, we all sinned. We fell short. 
And God could have just, I'm done. Washed his hands of the whole thing and been like, that's it. But he created with his purpose. He loved us. And so he took, he sent Jesus, his one and only son, into this world. Jesus took on all of our sin. He willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. And the reason why we are in this room today, the reason why we have hope, the reason why we could sing today is because Jesus did not stay dead. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He is alive, and that gives us future. That gives us hope. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are born again into a relationship with God. And we find our meaning, significance, value, and purpose. What God created us to enjoy, we have in Jesus. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.